0: Chicago Bears training camp reports from somebody who's actually been able to watch practice. I bring on the Bear Report's Zach Pearson to talk through every single position on the Chicago Bears roster as we get set to kick off real football in just two weeks. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, the last couple weeks have been tough not podcasting, but with the only Bears news being camp, I didn't really want to just get on the mic and speculate a bunch, which is why I am so excited to be bringing you a great friend of mine, Zach Pearson, who has actually been covering camp live and can tell us about what's going on. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing about as well as I can. It's wild to think that we're already done with media-available practices, and we're starting to hit that point in the off-season or preseason, whatever we want to call it now that there's not preseason games, where we're right about to get set up for live football. Can you believe it?
1: Yeah, man. I mean, we got 10 days till, uh, what Texans and chiefs kick off and then, uh, just a little under two weeks what well, 13 days until the bears kick off. It's, mm-hmm. it's been crazy, man. It's been a unique, unusual off season and it's just kind of been, you know, play it by ear and, uh, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to get, you know, get ready to some actual football on the field and games that kind of count.
0: Same. I can't wait to watch new football. As somebody who watched a whole bunch of film in the offseason, I have watched a lot of old football. And even the college game the other night had me way more excited than it should have uh, as that game came down to a thrilling close. But I'll tell you one thing. Well, it's been an incredibly unusual offseason. If there's something that hasn't been unusual, it's been the Chicago Bears having trouble at quarterback. And you know I have to start there. I know I have to start there. That is the issue of camp so far has been the quarterback competition and between Adam Hogue, Adam Johns, your voice, JJ Stankovitz, Weirder, and plenty of other voices. Honestly, I can't quite get a grasp on what's going on at the quarterback spot because the Bears' smattered highlight reels are so short and so lacking context that (laughs) everything from what drills these quarterbacks are working to the decisions that they're making to the execution of their throws feels like it's just all in the eye of the beholder. So I know you're just one perspective, but based on what you've seen, Tell me everything. Start with what kind of drills you've seen them do, situational setups where maybe one has outshined the other, where they are right now. Are you happy with their level of play? I mean, I'll pick on anything as we get into it, but just give me the top-level take of the Bears and their quarterbacks right now.
1: Yeah, I mean... You know that is the biggest story. It's been the biggest storyline all off season since they acquired uh, Nick Foles, way back in March. Feels like forever ago, but I, I kind of wish we would have got the full off season experience of this quarterback battle. Um, it, it's been obviously very unique because it had to start off in the classroom. It had to start off with Zoom meetings and, and you know going through all the film work things like that. Because Foles didn't even get to the Chicago area until like early Ju- July, I believe. Um, right before camp kind of kicked off and they got going at Hallis Hall. Mitch Trubisky's been here. He's been, you know, living here. So he kind of had a little bit of a head start. And I think early on, you know, many thought, okay, well, Trubisky's actually working with the wide receivers. He can, you know, get that head start, maybe have a little advantage, um, trying to win this job. And he's familiar with the offense. But to be honest, I really don't think there is any advantage or was any advantage for either Trubisky or Foles. I think they both kind of came in with a clean slate for everything I've read and heard and and been told is that, you know, both are really good in the film room, in the meeting rooms. They get along very well. Their relationship is really good. So I don't really think there was any advantage there. Now, when you get onto the field, it's a little different. So every day, you know, you mentioned all the reporters that are there, including myself, kind of broke down and gave our thoughts on who actually won the day. And I thought full start off day one with, with a win. And then I thought Trubisky hit like the next three days and then after that, it kind of started to lean towards foals. As we stand here today, you know, we're recording on Monday. I would lean towards Foles right now if I had to make a decision. However, I am still pretty concerned. Just because I say I think Foles is winning it, doesn't mean that he's actually going out there and just being a really good quarterback. And and I, I like to say this. I, when me and Aaron record, I like to tell him this, and he likes to say the same. The Bears don't need a top five, top 10 quarterback. I think if they have a top 15 quarterback with that defense, I think they'll be set and be a true playoff contender. Right now, I don't think they have a top 15 quarterback. I don't think they have a top 20 quarterback. I think they have two fringe top 25, top 30 quarterbacks. And, you know, it, it's just it's kind of frustrating because I don't want to waste. I don't think the bears want to waste another year of this defense with, you know, bad quarterback play. And I just haven't seen anything in camp that makes me feel confident in one or the other. If I had to say, you know, Foles in the lead, I will say this, that he does look a little more comfortable out there running that offense. Whereas Trubisky kind of still looks a little erratic and and still making some of the same mistakes, but Trubisky, I mean, he, I could tell a little bit he's improved a little because his mechanics are a little different um, with the arm throwing and he does try to set his feet more often than not. However, it's you know he's still forcing throws and a coverage. He's at times he'll throw off his back foot. And right now, man, it's just I don't know what the Bears are gonna do because you know, we look at this and, and the reporters can give their grade. And I think Saturday was a very good example. Myself, I wanna I believe it was Patrick Finley and uh, Jason Leisure all had fulls winning the day. And then the athletic Hogan, um, I think Hogue had Trubisky winning the day. I think Johns had Trubisky winning the day. And, you know, I could see it one way or the other. I could see both of them, how you can make an argument. I personally thought Foles did better just because he looked more comfortable was making the throws and the offense was kind of in rhythm. It's going to come down to what the quarterback or what the coaches want to do because they've said numerous times in this offseason there's other intangibles that are going to go into this. I mean, Who's got command of the huddle? Who's, you know, encouraging who? Who knows the playbook more? Who's in the film room? Who has the connections with the coaches? Things like that. And I know to be honest, I really wouldn't be shocked if they named Mitchell Trubisky or they named Nick Foles the starting quarterback. I think that's how close it is. And I think the, the importance of what the coaches see and what the coaches are doing um, behind the scenes also have a big impact. Now, you did bring up, like, the situational stuff. That was more of the last two Saturdays. Essentially, you know, they had scrimmages, but when we think of scrimmages, we think of, you know, offense going against defense or keeping score, all that. These were a little different. These were controlled. They put them in, you know, situations. So a good example is this. Mitch Trubisky came out. He ran I think it was like four, four or five plays um, with the first team, and he got a first down on a second down. Okay, so instead of calling it a first down, they went back and had him do a third and, you know, seven or eight or whatever it was. Then they were off the field. Nick Foles' first drive was a little longer, and you know maybe he didn't get the third, the pick up the first down on third down, and they kind of reset to a second down, or they reset to a fourth down. So I think that also needs to be factored into this. They're doing a lot of situational stuff, and you know you can't just be like, oh, well the scrimmage is just a scrimmage. It's, It's you know one guy gets the first team, and you know maybe Trubisky only had three plays, and that's that means he went three and out. That's not always the case. The other thing to also consider is they're rotating guys in and out wide receivers, defensive backs, um, defensive linemen, tight ends. It's not really one team against the other. It's, you know, you're going up against the second stringers. You're going up against the third stringers. You're going up against the first stringers on every drive because they have such limited snaps with all these players that it's just, it's tough to get it in and tough to kind of get, you know, one versus one. I think we'll see a little more of that. Oh. I won't see a little more of that because the media is not really allowed this week, but I think the Bears are going to do a little more of the one-on-ones uh, with that stuff and their practices coming up.
0: I'll tell you what has been wild to think about, because, and I'm going to take a shot in the dark, and if you know better than I do or I mess up the scheduling, you let me know what has been really, really bizarre to just add on to everything you're saying is that there's really only been about two weeks of live practice. Whereas, so let's take a normal NFL schedule about 14 days away from week one. There would have been about, including OTAs, somewhere on the in the realm of eight to ten weeks of live practice, right?
1: Yeah, about that. Because I think training camp's usually three to four weeks, and then you have OTAs and mini camp, uh, which are a week, two weeks maybe at the most. So, yeah, we'd be about right, eight to ten, and... It's been totally different, man. It's just been been two weeks, and I don't know if it's enough. I don't know either, and that's something
0: that I keep trying to put into my own head as I listen to you and others' reports about somebody like Nick Foles. I, I understand that this may sound like a slant, but I look at Mitchell Trubisky, and I think that he should be relatively unaffected by the change of schedule, right? I mean, you would think that a quarterback in his third year, yes, he gets two new tight ends to work with, but ideally the offensive vision is roughly the same thing he's been trying to achieve. So he should know the terminology, he should know the players, and generally, yeah, of course it's a quick windup, but it's not near the same as somebody having to move from Florida to Chicago and start throwing to these guys for the first time ever and only have about two weeks under his belt before he needs to be named a starter. It's bizarre, because I can't imagine how much that affects these practice drills that, like you're saying, it's not near as simple as saying, oh, he's really good on third downs, and we know that, because while his first and second down play wasn't great, he kept picking them up, and when he picked them up, he was the ball, he'd get into a rhythm. A lot of times, like you're talking about, I think it it sounds like you could end up in a situation where you could, to use your words, Pick up a first down and then have the coach say, no, you didn't. We're going to start on a third down again. And I would imagine that puts you out of rhythm. Not to mention, I know that let's just pick something that matters in the world of quarterbacks. Let's take handling pressure. I can envision that that would be pretty tough to simulate in a practice setting where both quarterbacks are wearing red jerseys. And despite whether one's better under pressure or less good under pressure, you could make the case that if if they know that the play is just going to get blown dead, if things get dangerous, it's going to change the way that they would react to the situation around them in a way that they may not do in a real game scenario. All that to say feels like from the outside looking in there's an incredibly thick layer of fog surrounding the entire quarterback competition that even folks like you who are able to watch it just can't really see into what's going on is that a fair assessment
1: yeah yeah i think that's that's very fair because you know it kind of goes back to the point i think the behind the scenes stuff might actually determine this thing i know matt nagy wants to have his situational stuff in and and a lot of teams do do that. I think it's even more important this year because you know, like you said, you'd have the 8 to 10 weeks of practice, generally training camp, you see the 7 on 7s, 11 on 11s, you see the scrimmages towards the end. They go live. You know, with this, it's like you have to kind of get that situational stuff in. You know, what are you going to do if it's third and one, you know, or third and goal from the one or fourth and goal from the one and and you need a touchdown, things like that. Maybe that kind of happens earlier in camp. I think there's it's I mean, they're kind of forced to just cram it all into one and kind of, you know, figure it out on the fly. And I think, you know, another good thing to think about is when Matt Nagy spoke last week and someone asked, I forgot who asked me, it was, you know, a question about what What are your thoughts on the, on the quarterbacks throwing it deep? We haven't really seen much of that. We've actually seen a lot more shorter routes and, and kind of more um, shorter design plays. And he's like, well, I'd like to see the guys opening up a little more. And part of me thinks that, you know, maybe that old saying of tr- uh, playing not to lose rather than playing to win, maybe Mitchell Trubisky, maybe Nick Foles were kind of just like, you know, I got to be safer with my throws. I can't always, you know, go deep if 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 or take a shot because, you know, if, if it's incomplete, you know, that could cost me the, the job essentially or a couple incompletions. So they have been opening up a little more, throwing it down the field. I just, it's just such a weird off season. I'm very curious to kind of go. I wish I had the time, honestly, to go through and maybe look at some of the live streams of other teams and kind of read some of the other stuff from other reporters to see how they're kind of handling camp. I think it's pretty, pretty, you know, normal and standard across the board with how the Bears are doing it. But I I do think it's a fair point that you brought up. And I I just keep going back to, it's going to be the, I have a feeling it's going to be the behind the scenes stuff that are really going to determine this quarterback battle
0: it's the only thing they have to go on, right? I mean, yep. it's it's almost too small a sample size to otherwise. And before we move on, because there are tons of positions and I don't want to <laughs> just cover the quarterback while well, I know we could, I will say one thing. So... I spent a lot of time this off season watching Nick Foles trying to get to know who he was. And there is a specific game stretch where I saw him deviate mentally from how he operated in every single other game I watched. I'm talking, he did the same thing in 2017, in 2018, And in his first game in Jacksonville, and it was when he came back in, and I would presume he was, quote unquote, fighting for his job, he started to hang on to the ball longer than ever before, take dumb chances downfield, throw into double coverage. The point being, it wouldn't surprise me, Zach, if like you're saying, the competition mindset is creating a different attitude around each quarterback's practice and maybe not a good one i don't know i obviously don't really know how much even for a let's say 32 year old nfl veteran and a what is he now 25 26 year old fourth year starter i don't know how much one camp really makes a difference on how well they play football besides things like getting comfortable throwing to rookies but maybe it's making a difference and like you're saying maybe being pushed to get out of their comfort zone a little can help them sync things up before a week one game against the lions that counts after a month's worth of practice.
1: Yeah. I think we'll start to see, you know, and hear a little bit from Nagy that things have fully ramped up starting this week. They practice, you know, this afternoon. And I think this week is going to be the very important week. They're kind of going to go full go with it in my, in my eyes. And you know, maybe ramp things up and, and just open up practice a little more rather than doing all the situational stuff. And maybe the competition takes a turn. I mean, I to be honest, if we, you know, I did say Foles is going to be the leader, but I, I could see where Matt Nagy, you know, maybe thinks it is 50-50 right now. Trubisky going to get his day on Tuesday. Um, that was obviously postponed on Thursday. So, Yeah, I'd expect this week because you have this week, and then, you know, the next week you're kind of going to your week one preparation and you install your game plan, stuff like that. You know, maybe these next couple of days really will be it, and they really ramp things up and go full speed um, with everything at practice. But yeah, it's tough, man, because it's like, you know, I go back to terminology. I think it was the last question you said, you know, Trubisky will know the terminology and stuff like that. And it had me thinking because Foles had an interesting quote, and and someone asked him about the. you know the terminology and the familiarity he has with Nagy's system. He says, "Yeah, the a lot of the terminology is the same, but a lot of it is very, very different. Like the system is obviously the same as Philadelphia, Kansas City, but they're changing this terminology a lot. Um, even mid-season, they change the terminology. If especially if teams start to pick up on, it. if you play Green Bay and you know Week One, you're probably gonna change a couple of things as the year goes on, so they can't really have your calls, but." I, I think we're, we're in for a week where they're going to really open things up. They're going to give Trubisky his day Tuesday, and I would say Wednesday, Thursday are probably, when in their eyes they're going to make the decision on who's the starting quarterback. We won't know. I won't even know until week one when that offense steps on the field. So I'm definitely excited to see.
0: I am too. One thing, because I know you already said who you think looks like they might be the starter. If, yep. if we're right, and it does come down to classroom stuff, Uh, and maybe a little bit of on-field performance. What it seems to me is the sensible decision, and one that I just want to make sure Bears fans and listeners are prepared for. If Trubisky wins it, I really hope he plays well, because Foles makes a lot of sense. Foles is the guy who maybe the accuracy isn't there. Maybe he'll get obliterated by an offensive line that lets people buy him. But he is the guy who, based on reports I've heard from you talking in practice, things I've seen on film... In, in 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 a vacuum, he's supposedly a better decision maker than Trubisky. And you would think that in an offense or in an in a year where the Bears are so all in on defense, they're gonna want to put the best decision maker behind that offensive line so that he can distribute the ball and give guys like Tariq Cohen, Alan Robinson, Anthony Miller, guys they've invested big money in. Jimmy Graham's another great example there, the best opportunities that they can get. It seems like a tie would go to the better decision-maker to me, but we'll see. If Trubisky is the starter, that actually kind of excites me because it means he must have blown the doors off a coach that yeah. apparently felt like he needed to go get him competition. But I don't know. That I feel like that's about where we're at with quarterback. And, uh, and at this point, it's just a matter of waiting and seeing and hope that their performance in Ford Field uh, surprises us. Yeah. But I will yep. say
1: this to, to kind of wrap up the quarterback stuff. I I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think you agree with this as well. I think the best case scenario is Trubisky wins a job plays all 16 lights it up and they franchise tag him. And it say, would be
0: the best unlikely, know. but it's, it would be awesome.
1: Yeah. And then you make him prove it again in, in 2021. And if, if not, maybe, you know, you take a chance on a quarterback this year in the draft as well and kind of groom them. I think that's best case. And that's, and that doesn't mean that Foles winning the job is worst case. I think. The worst case scenario is we've been kind of, in my eyes and other reporters' eyes, have been living through is neither of these guys have really <laughs> taken a hold of the job and won the job through the first two weeks. I think right. that is the absolute worst case. Along with that, kind of dragging into the to the regular season.
0: The best image that I can think of is a an old light switch. So yep. with Trubisky, I either want it on or off because if it sits in the middle, it's going to spark and literally yep. light your house on fire. Yeah, I mean the the middle where there's not a clear answer is the worst option. And it's kind of what we're living in based on what we've seen. Hopefully these next two weeks, something changes and the bears are able to roll out a, a more palatable offensive approach than they were able to bring to the table last year.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's just, if that happens and both these guys struggle and, and it's just a disaster, it's, you're pretty much resetting. And, You know, I don't, I I do see the Jaguar comparisons out there, especially today's news. That is just absolute worst case scenario for the Bears. That is something that you're going to look back on and look at that 2017 draft and be like, wow, we had pretty much a 66% 66 chance of picking the right guy and this franchise could have been totally turned over the other way. I hope that's not the case. I really hope for your sake, my sake, and Bears fans' sake, Trubisky, if he does win the job, goes out, lights it up. If Foles wins the job, goes out, lights it up, and they can salvage something here because – Like I said, they have a defense, man. They have a very good defense. And
0: speaking of a good defense, thank you. Let's get to the part (laughs) of the rest of camp because if there's one thing, and you can even see it in this podcast. We spent 20 minutes on it already. If there's been one thing about the quarterback competition that's been a negative, it's meant that we've not gotten to hear as much about the other players because nobody's really asking. So I've got a laundry list of questions. We'll fire through them as quickly as we can. Let's start with... With I think the most important position transition that we've got going on, which is Bilal Nichols coming in at nose tackle the way that they're lining up at the moment. Does it look like they're going to have him playing the Eddie Goldman 2 gap spot? How does he look? I know he was a little weak against the run in his rookie year. Does he seem better built Bilal Nichols defensive line? How's it all?
1: Yeah, um, so early on in camp, I mean, Nichols was a monster, and I think he's gotten better and better as the days have gone on. He's kind of played in that traditional nose tackle role where Eddie Goldman would be. They also have veteran John Jenkins, too. And, you know, I go back to um, that quote that Jay Rogers had, uh, I believe it was June, early June, before Goldman opted out, and it was, you know, we ask our guys to do everything. they got to play everywhere on the defensive line in case there's an injury or something happens. That's what we ask of our guys, and you have to be very versatile. Even Eddie Goldman, he was talking about shifting around on the line. And now we look at it, and I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to shift. You know, maybe Akeem Hicks will play there. Maybe Nichols will play there. You go with a veteran, John Jenkins, and that opens up other things for Roy Robertson-Harris, Brent Urban, or maybe one of the undrafted guys to kind of uh, earn a spot on this roster. So, yeah, I, I like what I've seen from Nichols so far. I really like what I've seen from Roy Robertson-Harris as well. I think we're just going to see, man, a mixture of things. I think they're going to really shake it up on the line. You're going to have to be versatile. You're going to have to be able to play on the outside, the inside, stuff like that, and, you know, your technique's going to have to be very sound and, you know, three technique, everything like that. So it wouldn't shock me if if we saw Nichols in there to start and then we kind of saw a rotation with, you know, maybe Jenkins comes in and Nichols slots over and, and you have Akeem Hicks slotted over as well. I'm very interested to see, though, what they do in the regular season with that defensive line.
0: I can't either. And regardless of who starts and how they play, let's be honest, there's almost no player more important on the defense than, drumroll please, Akeem Hicks coming back from injury. Because while Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn are obviously fabulous superstar pass rushers, and Eddie Jackson is one of the highest paid and most dominant safeties in the NFL, Hicks almost seems like he's going to be the key on whether or not the Bears are going to be able to stop the run like they did in 2018, or whether it's going to be, I wouldn't call it, go so far as to call it a liability, but a potential weak point of an otherwise quite dominant setup defense. And what I'll ask you is, when it comes to Hicks, does it look like the shoulder's still bothering him, or does he look like the, the same Akeem that we knew and loved between 2018 and the first part of 2019?
1: Yeah, so, so he hasn't practiced the last, I want to say week. I believe his last practice was last Tuesday. Okay. Tuesday or, or maybe Saturday in the scrimmage, whatever it was. It, it's been at least a week. Yeah, the shoulder looks fine. When he was in there that first week, he was really good. He was looked like a Keem Hicks that I've seen the past couple of years out there.
0: Awesome.
1: So I don't think it's really the shoulder. And the Bears really, you know, Matt Nagy said the quad, it's a quad injury. We're kind of, you know, bringing him along slowly. Why? You know I look at it this way. You you know what you're gonna get in Cleo Mack, you pretty much know you're gonna get in Akeem Hicks, Eddie Jackson, got Allen Robinson. There's really no reason to have them out there besides conditioning at right now. So I think that's you know, that injury doesn't really bother me. Now come week one, if he's on the injury report and he doesn't play, then I'd be a little concerned. But I like that point you brought up of you know, Hicks is pretty much the main guy on that defense in terms of stopping the run and even getting a pass rush going. Remember when he went down in that week five game against uh, Oakland, Las Vegas now, but what did the, what did the Raiders do? They went right at that weak spot and Josh Jacobs
0: destroyed it.
1: Josh Jacobs ran and Josh Jacobs was a good rookie back. Don't get me wrong, but he ran right over them and you know, Blount Nichols was still playing with that hand injury. So they were kind of hurt there. I believe Eddie Goldman was kind of nicked up throughout the whole year. So they really weren't fully healthy. But when Hicks went out, For whatever reason, the Bears' pass rush kind of just slowed down a bit. Teams started to gash them up the middle with the run game. So I I would agree. I think if Hicks is healthy, which he does look to be right now, I I think it's just kind of precaution with that uh, quad. I think the Bears' defense will, will look pretty normal with him out there, and he'll be a big key factor again.
0: Awesome, and I'm going to totally speculate here, but if you go all the way back to 2018, looking at that Rams game where Matt Nagy clearly knew the rulebook and used that false start trick that's now gotten really popular in 2019, we know that Matt Nagy is more than willing to play the rulebook against itself. So you know what? If all these are phantom injuries to give some key guys that just don't need reps uh, rest while they give guys that do need these key reps more reps and have an excuse for it, I'd shrug my shoulders and say, like you said, if they're not on the injury report come week one, I'll say, wow, how about that? And... We can all just move on. (laughs) When it comes to the linebackers, I know we're not necessarily worried about Roquan Smith or Danny Trevathan, though I am curious to hear how Roquan's been playing. I know he looked really good in camp uh, to start the year 2019, despite the fact that that didn't necessarily show up on the field until about week six. But he is coming back off a pectoral injury, and the depth behind him is a little bit hit and miss, even though they've brought in Alec Ogletree to work out. So far, has anybody impressed you at that backup linebacking spot? And how has Roquan looked coming back off injury?
1: Yeah, man. So, at least at the inside linebacker, no one's really stood out Stood out to a point where I'd be like, okay, if Roquan Smith or um, Danny Trevathan did go down like they did last season, that someone could come in and kind of have that impact that um, Nick O'Kowski or Kevin Pierre-Lewis did. I think the key for that inside linebacker in this defense is going to have to be having Trevathan Smith very healthy and, and Smith's had a very good camp you know, he's been in coverage on the linebackers and coverage on the running backs. He just kind of looks like that player. He was in 2018. He's kind of flying all over the field, making tackles. And I thought last season, you know, like you said, weeks, it took him about week six for him to get really get going after week six, man. I thought he was really, really good. And I think that's what we should expect this season. That's going to be a big year for him. And, and and I know a lot of people like to say it was a down year for Roquan. And that's fair to say in terms of the injury and the game he missed earlier in the season. But if you watch his play, I thought he was pretty good after that week six and looked like that top 10 pick that he was in a, in a future inside linebacker. I, I just, you know, it's tough to say any standouts behind him. I'm trying to go through and, you know, Iggy is probably going to be their third guy and it's, it's not like, you know, he's really, you know, stood out, stood out. I've seen some strides he's made this off season. I would say in all, you know, especially on the outside with the edge with um, Mac and Quinn, there's the depth behind them is a little thin as well to kind of put that whole, you know, linebacker position, the one I really like what I've been seeing from Barcavius Mingo, to be honest, I thought, really? he had a, yeah, I thought he had a really good scrimmage on uh, Saturday and, you know, Travis Gibson got the sack They had him down for one sack, but I had Mingo in there for a couple pressures being rotated in with Mac and Quinn. And I don't think it's just going to be special teams. I think he's going to actually be a solid third um, outside linebacker. So if I, if I had to pick one, standout that's not of the big four that we know uh, as for all the linebackers, I'd be Mingo. I do like, uh, Oh man. Uh, I cannot think of his name. I'm blanking on his name. One of the undrafted guys. Totally blanking oh. on his name. Um,
0: I'd love to help, but I can't. Yeah, I
1: am. Oh gosh, uh, Rashad Smith, I believe was. I think it's the kid from okay. uh, FAU. Yeah. Other than that, man, I think the depth is if, if they get tested with that depth at linebacker, and, and you know if Mack or Quinn or uh, Roquan or Trevathan go down, they could be in some trouble. I don't think it'll be like last season where they have two capable guys to kind of fill mm-hmm. in.
0: I would love to see Roquan step up. I know that. I can I can often get classified as a Roquan doubter per se, and it's purely because he's fought through a lot of adversity. And like we're talking about, he's shown about three games right before he got hurt of that real top ten potential. Which means right now he's a he's an inconsistent third year starter coming off a pectoral injury. There's a lot of reasons to think he's not going to suddenly rebound and become an all pro. But I would love for him to. So I sure hope he does. It's a lot more possible than other players turning it around, say, I don't know, um, Ted Ginn turning in a twenty-seven year old season at whatever thirty like thirty old age he's at. So I would love to see Roquan do that. And you're right, depth is it's going to be problematic. Uh, speaking of another problem, though, I can't believe we're still talking about it. After all of the kicker coverage we had last year is the kicker position. The Bears bring in Cairo Santos. It sounds like Eddie Pinheiro is still nursing a groin injury, which makes two kickers nursing groin injuries. But reports where he came in and nailed all his kicks in the scrimmage, have you seen much of Piñero all camp? And... If not, does Santos seem healthy, or is he limping around on that leg?
1: Um, yeah, so the first start, um, I have not seen much of Pinero. He's out there. I uh, have not seen him attempt a field goal, honestly, in training camp. So oh. that's, a little, that's a little worrisome. Uh, Santos, yeah, he made all of his kicks on Saturday, all of his field goal attempts and extra points. I want to say was combined, as was five or six of them. I, I don't have the exact number on me. He's not really limping around. He actually looks healthy out there, and he looks pretty that's good. Great. Yeah, uh, Matt Nagy says they're going to carry two, and Panero's the guy, but you know, after watching Santos go out there and take all the kicks and all the attempts, I think we might have a little bit of a kicker competition on our hands.
0: It's back. We You're are right? <laughs> competing at kicker again. And, I mean, hey, the complicated part here is this kind of reminds me of when Kai Forbath was competing for his job at Seattle and ultimately won and out. Uh, I cannot remember who he was competing against. But the point is is that Cairo Santos was a very, very good kicker uh, in his first three years in the league before his injuries. So that's 2014 through 2016. The guy averaged about an 84% kicking percentage from all kinds of distances. So you know what? If Santos comes in and wins the job, I guess I'm not really going to see that as a
1: negative. Do you? No, um, just because... <sighs> It's hard with Panero with the growing injury, especially for a kicker. You know, you, you got to be fully healthy out there. So, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think it's a negative if Santos comes in and wins the job. I still think they, they really believe in Eddie Panero. And oh. I really could see them keep two kickers on the roster until Panero's healthy. And if Santos goes out there and lights it up in the regular season, let's say, maybe two to three weeks in. Ah, uh, they probably have a decision to make. But the mm-hmm. other thing to look at is they're gonna have to cut down the roster pretty soon. Yes, they, do they get are. The, they get the two extra practice squad um, positions, which does help because if you're gonna keep an extra kicker, maybe you, you stash away a defensive back or a wide receiver, or defensive lineman it would make it a little tougher in, in in other years. But I think this year with the two extra spots and in the, in the new um, practice squad rules, it gives the Bears some flexibility to actually keep the two kickers.
0: Makes sense to me. Now, we've got a couple more questions we got to get through because when it comes to hype, there has nothing that has been more, I don't know if it's oversold or whether it's just a real improvement, but gracious alive, I can't hear anything negative about the Bears' tight ends, whether it's uh, Jimmy Graham, Cole Kmet, or Demetrius Harris. What are you seeing? Are they the real deal, or is it just an improvement over a position that basically didn't exist in 2019?
1: Yeah, and I'll even add to that. I mean, I thought Eric Saubert and Jesper Horsted have had uh, pretty good camps as well That's out there. Awesome. Yeah, it's not it's not just the three. It's the the whole position is looks really improved. And you know, it's not gonna be hard to improve on the production they had last season at tight end because it was so bad. It was right historically bad for the franchise. I think they'll improve for sure. This just looks like a different position group it looks like a more energized position like the addition of jimmy graham i think has really kind of ramped up and revamped this tight end room i mean he's out there yelling he's spiking the football he plays with just a lot of passion and in a a different swagger than we've seen. And then you got rookie Cole Komet who is out there making plays. And he's kind of like, to me, it looks like he's kind of like Jimmy brothers, or Jimmy, uh, not Jimmy brother, Jimmy Graham's younger brother out there. Like Jimmy's always talking to him. They're always around each other. They're always together. <laughs> so I, I know Jimmy's got that veteran leadership, bringing, you know, Comet along and Demetrius Harris. I think he's a guy that a lot of people thought, okay, he's coming in solely for blocking purposes, but he's actually made a couple of nice plays and a couple of nice receptions. Um, they've kind of been moving him around everywhere out there on the offense. So these are three large humans too. like standing out there. We're probably really like big dudes. Th- yes. We're probably like 20, 25 yards away. It's probably the closest we can get to them from the field. And they are gigantic, man, like really, really big humans. So I I'm excited for this tight end position. I think it's going to be a lot better than last season and and not only better than what they had last season, but I think it's going to be one of their best groups we've had in in a little bit. So I I, I'm just, I think the hype is real. Um, Now they always could come out and and be duds and then everyone, including myself looks bad, but I'll, I'll take that chance that they won't be duds this season.
0: That's great. And honestly, whether it's Jimmy Graham or Clancy Barone, the new tight ends coach that they brought in, I'll take any difference because I know Barone, this has been talked about on Twitter before, has has a real history of generating excellent tight end play. And while normally I wouldn't necessarily get excited about a player over celebrating in practice, you can make the argument this tight end position is one that needs a little bit of that swagger. I mean, take a look at guys across the league. I know Zach Ertz is an incredibly quiet person, generally just in the way he plays. Very act like you've been there before in his attitude. But Travis Kelsey is not. And he's one of the best tight ends in the league. I'm not about to try to pretend that they're somehow equated, that you could say the more swagger, the better player. But when you've got to take on those nasty blocking assignments as well as take hits over the middle and go shoulder to shoulder with linebackers for more than likely third end or third down completions, I'll I'll take a little bit of edge, that's for sure. One quick more one more quick question about the tight end, if you don't mind me asking, and yeah. work this into the next thing you gotta say. I know it's hard to see run plays. I'm sure from 20, 25 yards away, it's even harder. The, as far as the blocking aspects go, especially with Cole Kmet, are you liking what you're seeing, or does it look like that could be a problem this year? Uh,
1: early on, I mean, it is a little tough to tell. Like you said, we are kind of, you know, 20, 25 yards I have out to watch and... running
0: plays like 15 times to figure out quite yes. what happened, like uh, at the detail level. So I totally get if if you don't really know.
1: Yeah, I can't say he's been very good at blocking. I can't say he's been very bad at blocking. It's just kind of one of those things where you see, you know, overall I think the Bears' run game has looked better, and that's what David Montgomery healthy. And that's, you know – that for me I expect them to run a lot more 12 personnel out there. I think you know when you have Jimmy Graham out there, you're gonna see Comet as prim- your primary blocking tight end. When you have Harris, it's gonna be reverse. Comet would be you know receiving tight end, except on run plays obviously. But I think they're a lot do a lot more 12 personnel and you know watch them out there. I've seen a couple plays where it's been you know Eric Saubert on the edge or Comet um, Harris, where they've been able to seal that edge and, and get the running back to the outside and, and break off a long one. I don't know. I wish I knew who the who the tight end was on uh, Patterson's long run he had on, uh, on uh, during the scrimmage on Saturday. But whoever that tight end was in the in the tackle, they did a really good job of sealing that edge. So I'll, I will keep an eye on it if I can. How much they let show us on practices, but man, to be honest, I wish I could answer it. I just I, I haven't seen I- much.
0: Totally understand. It's it's tough because it is. you're sitting there trying to watch a bunch of people. We'll segue to the next spot. I bet you're trying to watch the offensive line when yes. it comes to a running play. I wouldn't blame you for not staring at the tight ends necessarily. And when you've seen the offensive line, so uh, obviously there was that picture that circulated around Twitter of James Daniels just looking like a different man. Uh, in terms of how big he seemed to have gotten over the offseason. But the offensive line's a position that's been under tons of scrutiny for good reason. Uh, the Bears need to be able to move the ball on the ground to support whichever quarterback they have. And their pass protection was lackluster, if a little bit oversold last year, But or just how bad they were. But anyways, when you watch the offensive line, uh, what do you think? Did the Bears do enough at the position? And as far as the starters go, do they have you optimistic? Where are you most worried?
1: Yeah, I think they'll be better. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people agree with me. I think the tackle is probably going to be the key. Everyone wants to focus in on on the right guard competition, rightfully so. Uh, Fetty's pretty much held that down in practice. It was a competition. It- yeah, right? I don't uh, mean
0: to be stupid. I really thought that was locked down. Who was he competing with?
1: Yeah, now it's locked down. It's for sure locked down right now. Gotcha. Um, going into camp, I thought it would be uh, oh, man, who, uh, Rashad Coward. He would get his shot. And then a lot of people thought Alex Barr's. No, it's a Fetty. It was gonna be a Fetty, and he's kind of locked it down right away with, you know, getting that endorsement from Juan Castillo. I think the biggest issue is gonna be tackles. I I think, you know, Charles Leno had a career worst year last year, and he's admitted it. He went back into the film, he said, you know, I've I've studied so much harder this offseason, I have to be better. You know what you're gonna get with Bobby Massey. Um, he's just kind of just there. He's gonna be a guy. I mean, he's probably gonna stay healthy. Last year he wasn't, but prior to that, he was pretty healthy um right tackle. It, overall i think they're going to be a little better i really really love watching juan castillo coach this guy he just really and he get like we i, I want to say it was day one we're out there and the uh offensive linemen are kind of near the the media guys and he just starts yelling at a player for not doing his job and it wasn't you know malicious or anything like that it's just get to your spot, get here, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And we asked Matt Nagy, and he said, yeah, that's not even as loud as Juan can get. I mean, that's just pretty <laughs> calm for him. And I'm like, oh, we haven't heard him get super, super loud, which that's actually a good sign because that means someone's doing something wrong. But, you know, wa- Juan is just, he's a treat to watch. He's, he said it in his press conferences. He, the offensive line is always the first group out there, and they kind of do these, a uh, hand drill and a foot drill before everyone gets going. And while they're all doing that, Juan Castillo's out there working on his abs. He's doing all these different ab exercises. He's <laughs> chatting it up with everyone. He's just, he's just, I don't know. He's he's so much fun to watch and watch coach. Now, my concern would be if someone went down on that offensive line. I don't think the second string has really particularly played well. I think probably the best guy on that second string has been Alex Bars, who's been getting some work at tackle and guard. Um, we, you know, last season Bars didn't get his chance, which was kind of surprising to me because especially right. his, He's a Harry Heestand disciple, and you look at Week 17, what the Bears really have to play for? No, you know, nothing in nothing. Week 17. So I'm kind of shocked he really didn't get to start and play the full game. He's a guy that I thought could be a, a roster casualty just because his connection with stand. But so far, he's had a nice camp. I do like the uh, undrafted free agent signing uh, D- Dieter Ellison. I hope I'm saying that correctly. He's been playing pretty well. But I think, you know, with the Spriggs injury, how he went down, uh, he, they kind of been bringing him back a little slowly. They might need some help on tackle if one of those tackles goes down again. And I'm I'm not confident that they have it, you know, to to kind of go out there and fail. I'll
0: tell you that bars was definitely one that I didn't know what to make of his situation because and this is what I told anybody that asked me. It really struck a weird chord in me that a guy who looked as good in the preseason as he did, did not only fail to break into the roster while Rashad Coward was just getting worse and worse and worse by the week, but also, yeah, didn't play in that Week 17 game. And this is all while he's playing for, quote unquote, his coach in Harry Heastan. It's wow. great to hear that he's actually playing pretty well, because I was starting to wonder whether it was just a camp connection, similar to Sam Mustafer, how... He more than likely made the roster. I don't want to speculate too much, but it wouldn't surprise me if part of the reason that he was there is because the coach knew him. And therefore, that doesn't mean he thinks he's better, but it might mean that he knows him well enough to know what he can and can't do. Either way, when, when you look at that second part of the roster depth between Bars and Spriggs and a couple of the other offensive linemen, the seventh-round draft picks, Arlington Hambright, Lechavius Simmons, are when you talk about not being impressed, is that... I don't think that they're going to be able to play at an NFL level, or is it? I'm not even sure if their development is coming along well enough.
1: I mean, I think it's just too early to tell. I, I, I they're seventh round picks, so you're going to want to develop them right. as, as it goes on. And I want to say, negative. It's Nag- sort of and, an
0: unfair question.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And and Nagy, you know, even said, "Hey, we're going to bring them along as we can. If they need to play, they're going to go out there and play." So far, you know, it, they've been working with the second, and third stringers they're not playing bad, but they're just not really standing out I think um I right. can't remember which one I kind of grouped them both together they're both seventh round picks and I kind of shuffling around the offensive line so yeah i can' I couldn't tell you if either of them are ready to play right now I don't think so I, I think if they had to go in and start right now there'd be a major major learning curve, sure. especially the first couple weeks but I would uh, you know I was trying to come up with something i I would. I don't think it's fair to to you know write them off just yet or anything like that. They are seventh round picks. And it's the I, second I would week just, of practice. Yeah, yeah, it's second week of practice in an unusual off season as well. Right. So uh, I, I would. I think they're gonna have to you know maybe take a red shirt season and, and kind of come along in the future.
0: Makes total sense. And, you know, to go back to your Castillo quote, I can't imagine a better fit for a guy like Nagy because, and I understand this is fairly cliche, but having having a little bit of bluster and fire in the furnace to compliment somebody like Nagy who's all positivity and ideally creative offense, more of a brainy sort of personality, I, I think that is such a great fit for the run game and the pass game. And I really hope it materializes into a better offense than we had last year. For sure. Another big part of that offense is going to be, and I think one of the more, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it underrated, it's gotten quite a bit of play, but interesting stories of this offseason has been Cordero Patterson kind of moving to running back full time. When you watch him, does he look like a fish out of water there? Does it look like uh, the fit it's always needed to be? I don't know. What are you seeing? Observations. I-
1: I think he looks pretty comfortable. Um, He does run a little high than than you'd like for your running back, but that, I mean, he's been a kick returner. He's been a wide receiver his entire career. So you kind of got to expect that. And I mean, he's still learning. He looks comfortable out there, but he's always learning and he's always going to have to get better when making that transition. He, He told us, he said, you know, I'm a veteran out there, but I'm still asking, you know, David questions. I'm asking Tariq questions because they've played this position. I really haven't. So he's a guy, you know, he's a guy that's going to come in. I think he's going to get a lot more reps than a lot of people think, especially now with Montgomery hurt. Right. He looks, I mean, you get him to the edge on the outside with that speed, you know, he's, he's taken off and if he's going to blow right by you, if you don't make that tackle, he might be off to the races. So I think he's going to add a new dynamic to the bears offense, something that they need. They they've needed speed on that offense for a couple of years now. And they've had Taylor Gabriel and he's kind of battled his injuries. Now you got another one in the backfield with, with um, Cordero Patterson and yeah, I think one of the biggest things that people wanted from last year was Nagy to utilize him more, get him into better situations, get him into open space, things like that. I don't think they did a a really good job of doing that. I think that's going to change here in 2020.
0: I know there was an interview that ESPN did, and I can ne- I cannot for the life of me remember who was talking about it, but they talked about how Matt Nagy actually mentioned that, that. There were a bunch of things they wanted to do with Patterson, but they couldn't do it because the offense had no foundation. They couldn't yeah. get the base laid, and therefore you can't do the fun things like in 2018 where you bring in defensive players to play on offense when your normal offense isn't working. And so hopefully that changes. I know one thing that I've always found interesting about Patterson, everybody talks about the speed. There's nothing wrong with talking about the speed. It's really easy to forget just how big this guy is. And if you can get him to that edge and put him one-on-one against defensive back, let's put it this way, Tariq Cohen isn't going to truck a safety, but Cordero Patterson might. And that's the really wild thing about putting him at running back is I've, I've always heard, uh, I have nothing to back this up with, that Patterson struggles with a route tree, but it's not that hard to hand somebody the ball and tell them where to run. Vision is obviously much more complicated than that, and I don't mean to su- to suggest that the running back position is an easy position. You have to handle blocking assignments. You do have to have a small route tree. You need to be able to find a hole and field things out. But, I mean, that kick returner skill is huge, and if they can in any setting, Get him to the edge. Uh, he picks up yards faster than just about anybody in the league.
1: Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point because he is also We talked about Jimmy Graham and Demetrius Harris. Yeah, Cordell Patterson's a really big guy out there, too. And with that speed, I mean, he's a guy that can take on linebackers and safeties. He's not going to really shy away from the contact. And, and, you know, to be fair to Tariq Cohen, I don't think he shies away from the contact either. I wouldn't suggest
0: he does. He's just kind of small.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I really think Patterson's going to add another dynamic to this offense. And I'm very excited to see how many touches he gets right away. I feel like, and, and, you know, add add in your thoughts here as well, because I think you, you probably agree. I feel like that every time Patterson was in the backfield last season, the Bears were going to give him the ball. It kind of, teams kind of picked up on that right Mm -hmm. away. This year, maybe that's not going to be the case. Maybe they put him in the backfield and it's, you know, it's a different, it's a passing play, stuff like that. I think that will also help open up this offense a little more.
0: I'll use uh, a Madden example, which is simplistic (laughs) and derivative, but I'll go with it. Uh, we've all been there when you're playing Madden or just about any game where you are just one step ahead of your opponent and you just kind of know what they're going to do. That was the Bears offense the entire year. They were behind the eight ball. Every time it felt like uh, they just got to try something. They just got to put Cordero Patterson in the backfield. It was like, yeah, we know. We can see what you're trying to do. And uh, again, I think it all goes back to whenever the Bears did something basic, like whenever they tried to run inside zone, outside zone it usually ended pretty cataclysmically so then they would try to get the short passing game going and that would work for a little bit but then honestly that if there's one problem with throwing seven to eight yard dig routes it's that once you have about two batted balls they kind of disappear altogether you can't really handle incompletions when you're doing that especially not interceptions which a couple were a little closer than they looked. the point being that I think Patterson gets a lot less obvious and ham-handed in his usage when the Bears are able to get anything, like squeeze anything out of the basic offensive game plan. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree. Hopefully they can do that. Or they'll just bake Patterson into that basic offensive game plan and uh, and the, and things will fix themselves a little bit. But yeah, it,
1: it felt like, yeah. I mean, to go with that point, it did feel like, I mean, even when the Bears, it was a 0-0 game, or like I look at the Chargers game when they were up in that game, it still felt like their offense was totally behind. And, right. and they just couldn't get anything established at all. And that's just a feeling they had way too much last season. I want to say it almost... Well, more than half of the games, at least.
0: Oh, yeah. It, it really felt like the only things that did work were smoke and mirrors and accidents. Yep. And th- that erratic thing that you described about Trubisky, it kind of just felt like the whole offense. I mean, any running success was almost just dumb luck at some point. And so hopefully, if there's, again, any consistency at all, that's a huge improvement. for the, for the sake of time, there are two other position groups that we have to cover. We'll start with the wide receivers. I have heard talk of a surprising player at wide receiver, and I'll give you the floor on if you want to talk about him because I'm not gonna lie, he's got me a little excited if it's true.
1: Uh, you're talking about Darnell Mooney, correct? You better believe it. Yep. Okay, that's right. That's where I was hoping you would go. Yeah. I mean, man, he—he's looking really good in camp, and I—I I hate to give too high expectations for a, a, wide, a rookie wide receiver because I thought going into camp. You know, they were going to kind of have a slower role for him. You know, maybe a role where he gets in a couple of snaps in the first couple of weeks. He kind of sits behind Ted Ginn. I think he's pushing to go ahead of Ted Ginn on the depth chart, which should be really good news for the That'd Bears. Be awesome. Yes. And Saturday was by far his best practice. I mean, he was beating guys left to right in the field. And going back to the quarterback competition, both Trubisky and Foles missed him on deep throws. I want to say Foles had him twice and missed him. Uh, Trubisky missed him once. I mean, he's burning guys by two, three steps out there, and, and oh. I always thought, you know, you always have the speed with Darnell Mooney, the aspect of that. His route running is really impressive. He's been doing it all. He's been His route tree looks a little more expanded than just a, a go or streak and anything like that. He's running, you know, slants, outs, you know, curls, stuff like that, and, you know, he just he looks very polished, a lot more polished than what I thought he was going to look like. I thought he was going to have a little bit of a learning curve and kind of take some time to essentially earned that role. Now, I had someone ask me, you know, is he still safe? Is he? I was, yeah, He's going to be safe. He's a rookie. They're not going to give up on him that quick. He's going to make the roster. I think now we have to ask ourselves, how much of an impact will he really have? And I think, you know, the confidence in, in, that he has, I think we're going to see a significant impact from him early on this season. I think the Bears know they might have found a, um, a hidden gem here in the draft.
0: I'll tell you one thing that's really wild, and I go back to Riley Ridley to reference yep. this. I know Riley Ridley didn't get near as much play in camp last year because reports were that I I wouldn't say he was struggling with the playbook. It's more that Matt Nagy's receiver playbook is a little more complicated, or so I have heard, than some other teams where route trees, whether they're more limited or they're more simplistic in terms of you see this coverage, you do this, and the West Coast Nagy thing can be a bit more complex than that. Ridley had what most would consider a normal receivers development kind of Mooney I know had a lot of reports of he would what wire the play call like into speakers and listen to it while he was way out wide and you hear about that stuff and you chuckle you go hey that's cool kid let's see what you got when uh, when like snaps start to matter and it's pretty cool to hear that it may have actually worked that all that studying he did in the offseason may be playing out because if he is going to push Ted Ginn for that spot if he is getting these reps in practice you got to think that he's mentally ahead of where a rookies supposed to be does he seem in terms of his understanding of the offense like he's lost out there or is he fitting right in
1: i i'd say he's fitting right in um you know there's going to be those rookie mistakes I'm, I'm sure he's had a couple times that we haven't been able to identify in the field where maybe he was in the wrong spot stuff like that
0: right you never um, know
1: yeah exactly you don't know that that's all stuff that coaches and players know um because i mean Let's, let's be honest. There could be a broken route, and there could still be a completion, and it looks normal to the reporters and fans. You, you just never know. So, yeah, I would say he's 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 coming along really well in his development. I haven't really noticed any big blunders from him. Um, I think his first couple practices he had a couple drops, but uh, most of the Bears wide receivers were dropping passes. So <laughs> that that's kind of a concern for the whole unit. But, yeah, I mean, he looks pretty polished out there. He looks like a kid that could come out and be – you know, maybe work in that slot work on the outside, make an impact with his speed. And then as time goes on, develop into a more polished route runner. I'd say he's a good route runner right now, but the next step for him is, you know, obviously hands, keep those hands solid and become a great route runner. And, you know, if the bears do have a steal here, Finally, there's some speed on this offense. Finally, you're going to have right. a guy that, that can that can take the top off of a defense, stretch out the field um, for your offense and really make an impact. So really like what I've seen from Mooney so far. I, I think he's had a very, very strong camp, and I expect that to continue into the regular season.
0: What a gem it would be if the Bears cut Tyler Gabriel and then drafted effectively the same mold of player but younger and – I I won't go better, but maybe we'll get the best out of him that we didn't necessarily get out of Gabriel. That'd be great. Another thing that I know I'm really curious about, it's less a question, more an observation. We've talked about how there's two weeks of practice, and I didn't want to bring this up during the quarterback section, but you talked about how Mooney got missed by basically every quarterback on the roster, and I find that really interesting because that is exactly the setting where you'd say, hey, maybe they just don't get how fast he is because every player runs at different speeds. I know back in my sports days, I played lacrosse, and you you had to get used to just how fast every one of your teammates was because you had to lead them all differently. I imagine it's pretty similar in football, especially more so where on those deeper throws that you're talking about, how Mooney succeeded in, you have to let that ball go really early to give them a shot, and it's got to hit exactly the target or else they've got to slow down, potentially give up a pass breakup or they, you know, you space the ball and they never get to it. That's one thing that I am really interested in is I wonder how much of quarterback struggles are just people aren't really used to some of these players. I have no idea. When I say that, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously the timing. You you want to hit a wide receiver in stride all the time. I mean, especially especially a speed guy down the field. So, yeah, I think the timing is kind of an issue right now for both Trubisky and uh, Nick Foles more so Foles with the other guys. You know, Trubisky's been able to throw to Allen Robinson. He's been able to throw to Anthony Miller. He's had Ridley and Wims on the roster before. I think the biggest thing for Foles would be the timing, getting used to, you know, where his receiver's going to be at, where he needs to put the ball at, um, at the right time. And I will say this, there has been issues with that for both quarterbacks, but it's not, you know, something where, um, it's not being overshadowed. I mean, both quarterbacks are, are telling the receivers, hey, you need to be here. The receivers are telling the quarterbacks, that's my bad. I need to be here. Or, you know, we got to work on this timing. So I, I think, that's you know, yeah, exactly. And we could see maybe early on in the NFL season, you know, we could see a lot, of, a lot of struggles with quarterbacks and wide receivers just because it could be one of those things that is very very impacted on the lack of time on field uh, this past offseason. I could
0: totally see it Uh, as far as quickfire goes, and then we'll get to DBs and close out the show. Uh, When it comes to Ridley and Wims, we'll just leave Allen Robinson and Miller at the door. Have either of them impressed you? It wouldn't surprise me if one of them could get cut. So uh, putting draft pick position at the door, I know Ridley's a fourth-round pick. That means he's likely sticking. Has Wims played up to the competition level? Has Ridley taken a step forward? What have you seen from those two?
1: Yeah, I think they've both had solid camps. Uh, they, they're both kind of a little quiet early on, but they've as the days have gone on, they've kind of come into their own. I've I've been impressed a couple of days with Whims. Been impressed a couple of days with Ridley. I thought they're going to be in a battle for that last roster spot. I do think you know Paris moving to running back might open up another spot on the on the wide receiver core. It wouldn't shock if they keep both. I, I'm actually leaning towards them keeping both Whims and Ridley as as it, as it is right now. I, you know, it's kind of tough because, like you said, you know, Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller are two guys. I think Kin and Mooney are going to be your speed guys. I could see them, you know, definitely keeping Wims and Ridley, and you know, maybe battling for that third, fourth, fifth spot on the roster. If I had to pick one, that's probably going to have the breakout year of the two. I'd still go with Ridley. I think he's more polished, especially as a route runner. His hands are a little better. Wims is probably better, you know, jump ball. He's kind of got that size out there. I'd be a little more intrigued and a little more inclined to say that Ridley would probably be the breakout guy if I had a pick between the two.
0: Okay, that makes total sense. Now moving on to the last position we'll cover. When it comes to defensive backs, uh, let's, for the sake of time, Eddie Jackson, he's Eddie Jackson. We know that. Kyle Fuller, he's Kyle Fuller, for better or for worse. We know that, and I think he's a really, really good player. When it comes to Jalen Johnson in that second cornerback spot, Maybe Buster Screen, if there's anything to report there, he's all. He also could just be Buster Screen, and uh, Gibson, who every time I think Gibson nowadays, I think Travis. So I'm not even going to attempt <laughs> it. I know I'm going to get his name wrong. Um, but Gibson, the second safety, are you liking what you see? How's Johnson's development looking? Is his shoulder still ailing him? What do we got at defensive back?
1: Yeah, so Johnson actually was just uh, cleared for full go. Um, he tweeted that out Saturday, I want to believe before awesome. or after the scrimmage. So he's been kind of been brought along a little slowly he had the sir he had the uh shoulder surgery in the off season so now it's gonna be you know can he go out there and win that job him and Tal have been splitting reps and i will say buster screen has been out there on the outside a couple times uh oh, okay. reps it really <laughs> wouldn't shock me if they did move screen to the outside the problem with that though is who do you slot in there at the, right at the, at the nickel and
0: and slots dangerous nowadays yes. like teams will put their best receiver at slot you can't have just the third worst corner or the third-best corner, per se, playing slot. They've got to be able to play ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, look what Green Bay did in that. Was it week 15 or whatever? They put Devontae Adams against Buster Screen in the slot, mm-hmm. and it worked out perfect for him. So I just haven't seen enough from Duke Shelley to tell me that, that they would move Screen to the outside, because outside of Shelley, I mean, who are you going to put in there? Kendall Vildor? Kendall Vildor? Yeah, I don't know if he's ready to kind of take on that role just yet. Um, I, I would lean right now, I would lean that Kevin Tolliver would probably start week one. Um, screen would be in this slot and then obviously kind of fuller on the outside as well. It wouldn't shock me if Jalen Johnson starts. I think he's eventually going to take it over so far. You know, when he's been out there, I kind of like that, that, that aggressiveness he plays with. He's not afraid to play bump and run. He's not afraid to play off. He can play on either side of the football field. If you need him to, he's long, he's lanky. He could go up there and make plays. I, th- I want to say he has at least his one interception, he might have two out there um in camp so far now going to safety i mean i thought gibson was going to win the job you know when he was signed i think it's deon bush's job to lose right now and, and really yes i do think deon bush has had the better camp um gibson is the veteran bush knows his defense though He's he's been in this system before he's gotten the praise from chuck pagano eddie jackson's been praising him loving what he's seeing out there and I I really don't think of Deion Bush as that prototypical strong safety. He's not going to come up and make those big tackles in the box and against those big running backs. He's looked pretty well in the run support coming up there and and I think what the Bears are going to do and a lot more teams are going to start doing is you're going to have to have safeties that are interchangeable. So, you know, Eddie Jackson might have to play a little more strong. safety. Yeah, it's just how the NFL is going nowadays and I think Bush is going to win that job. I think it's his to lose. I will say I, w- I think we're going to see Gibson play this year. I think they're going to try to interchange you know, him and Bush as much as they can. But I- I'd have to say I-, I think Bush is Bush's job to lose.
0: Hey, having three safeties is never a bad thing. I know exactly. no- nobody learned it more than the Bears did in 2018. Yes. Just what happens when you really only have two safeties that you're comfortable with. And, hey, Bush, I mean, all the way back in that 2018 season, the couple of games he played, he's not a bad player. Of course, as soon as I started saying that, he walked on in week one and gave up a touchdown. Uh, Two (laughs) touchdowns, as a matter of fact. One to Jimmy Graham, and then that long throw to Adams. Actually, I don't think that was a touchdown. Neither here nor there. Point is, of course, he got victimized week one, but he's been a solid player whenever he's shown up in that defense. He fits Chuck Pagano's mold because, believe it or not, if you go back to his Miami tape, He's a, he likes to throw the lumber around. He likes yeah. to hit. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me at all that even in a, hey, let's just play thud uh, practice setting, he's coming up and run support fairly fearlessly. When it comes to Jalen Johnson, I'll tell you, man, I, I've never scouted a corner before, like not really tried to watch their transition and project it. I leave that to smarter draft nicks than me. But Jalen Johnson's tape is like, blow your socks off good. I mean, it is shocking what he can do. So if he can come in uh, healthy, it won't surprise me at all. If he wins that CB2 spot, it's more just a matter, like you're talking about, of whether he can do it in time. If he doesn't start this season, I will be shocked with a capital S. It's just a matter of whether he starts in Detroit.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think it's really a bad thing. Either. I don't think if you know Kevin Tolliver is the day-one starter... I don't think that's a bad thing for Jalen Johnson. I think eventually he's going to take it over. Now, if he doesn't, that's going to mean one of two things. It's going to mean that Johnson's progress is not really coming along or Kevin Tolliver is having a hell of a season. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I talked to actually some Utah guys that covered the team when Johnson was drafted, and they said, you're going to love this kid. You know, they knew Chicago is his is defense, and they said he's going to fit in very well with them. He's got his confidence to him. He likes to hit. He's physical. He's aggressive out there you know very lengthy he's gonna make plays he's a playmaker and you know interestingly enough when i was talking to them they're like oh yeah you know we've seen you know eddie jackson bring back touchdowns kyle fuller things like that they said you have another guy out there now jalen johnson who's not only gonna pick it but he's gonna look at bringing it to the house every single time which that's really great news
0: yeah it's super fun i mean Hey, look, for as long as I've been a Bears fan, which I think is now running on 13 years, so not near as long as plenty, I have always known that the defense is better at scoring than the offense, and it sounds like Jalen Johnson is prime to keep that tradition well and truly alive.
1: Yeah, I I think the Bears got a, a potential. He should have been a first-round pick. If he didn't have that shoulder injury, I think he would have been a first-round pick and still top three draft prospect, or top three cornerback prospect, not overall draft prospect, cornerback prospect uh, for me last season.
0: Hey, I've heard that story before with a defensive bag falling due to injury, and that worked out pretty well. So, yeah,
1: some uh, guy named Eddie Jackson, right? Yeah,
0: I'll take that every time. <laughs> but we are, we are definitely, if not overtime, at time, So, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. You're offering insight that literally we can't get anywhere else. Thank you for everything on this show. Where can the listeners find you and your work online?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at at Zach, Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. You can remember my work on the Bear Report. I'll be getting some more stuff up. I actually got a roster projection Scheduled to go up tomorrow. Uh, i be doing Sweet. some. I got something on Buster's screen too. So, yeah, thank you so much, man, for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course, man. Anytime. Thank you so much again. Yeah, no problem. And Bears fans, that's all I've got for you for this show. If you like it, please leave us a review on whatever listening device you use, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever else it may be. And if you like what I have to say, be sure to follow me on Twitter over at Robert K. Schmitz. That's at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z. Make sure you check out Zach and all his work. And Bears fans, until next time, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.